It may make sense just to get some in case it catches on. If enough people think the same way, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Once it gets bootstrapped, there are so many applications. If you could effortlessly pay a few cents to a website as easily as dropping coins in a vending machine. Satoshi Nakamoto. Welcome to another exciting episode of What is Your Bitcoin Story? The podcast that delves deep into the world of Bitcoin with your host, Gigi. With a wealth of experience in the crypto industry, our guest today has an instrument has has been instrumental in helping investors navigate the ever-evolving digital asset landscape. He's none other than Guy Hugh, the managing partner of Coinstone Capital, a boutique digital asset investment advisor. Guys boasts an impressive nine-year track record in the world of crypto, and at Coinstone Capital, he leads charge in crypto asset portfolio advisory. But what sets Guys apart is his unique approach. He combines his deep blockchain use case knowledge, extensive trading experience, and a genuine passion for teaching to provide clients with customized digital asset portfolios, trading suggestions, and education. Whether you're a seasoned crypto enthusiast or just starting to dip your toes in this exciting world, Guys is here to share his insight and expertise. Get ready to learn, get inspired, and get ahead in the world of digital assets. So without further ado, let's dive into this insightful conversation with Guys. Welcome to the show, Guys. Oh, Gigi, thank you very much. That's a very, very, that's a very, very friendly, friendly introduction. I appreciate that. Uh, so let's let's kick off the episode as we always do, guys. Um, what is your Bitcoin story and uh, where does your rabbit hole journey begin? Yeah, it's a it's a pretty interesting one, actually. So so what happened was I I'm from South Africa originally, and I started my well academic career to a certain extent as a uh, well I, stud- I studied like what is comparable to a PPE, politics, philosophy, and economics, and then I did a masters in political management, and then I got to the point where I did a little bit of um, work looking at what China was actually doing in in northern in in in, in the Maghreb region basically, and then looking at mining specifically. And then I actually got into the whole thing of rare earth minerals at that time. And then I did some work with the German government. And then via that, I kind of like ended up in Amsterdam and I did an MEC in business information systems. So that was around like, what, 2011, 2012. So then I kind of, at that moment, I had this very disjointed academic record to a certain extent, because you've got like, on the one hand, you've got like an information system background and then politics and like economics and philosophy uh and yeah so it was kind of like super disjointed but then eventually it worked out perfectly because then after university in amsterdam i decided to stay on there because i've got had good experiences at, at companies there doing internships and i decided to stay on and then i ended up doing sap for a while so sap is a erp system enterprise resource um, management system that's used it's basically the same as uh, it's the same as like oracle and these types of things but it is still a highly siloed data environment so as a consultant i spend a lot of time with regards to just working on making sure that the invoices without throughout the company and the different databases like actually synced mm. to a certain extent it was a little bit more more intense than that i would say at a technical level but then i started noticing it's like okay listen, you know, there's good people out there and they're really working between in kind of like, like almost like getting crunched to a certain extent to kind of like between a rock and a hard place between different information systems within companies and they basically have to make these things talk and there's a lot of manual work like a lot more manual work than you would actually think if you kind of like look at the company from the outside so then i started now and then i had a flatmate at the time a dutch guy matthijs i should actually kind of like reach out to him again it's been a while uh but he's he's quite like i like i come from a little bit more kind of like almost like i would say a little bit more compared to like your usual kind of like it guy i would say i'm a little bit more outgoing and sporty to a certain extent but he was kind of like one of these guys that was like you know yeah completely he was like in all of these chat groups and stuff like that and i don't know what the hell these guys got up to but anyways one one time we had dinner together and he was telling me like I listen, you know, there's this new type of like e-money going around and i was like yeah, yeah this stuff has been coming around from the 70s every second bank has one uh yeah but then he said like no 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 but hang on 
this thing is set up in such a way that it kind of like sustains itself. I was like, what? And then he explained to me like, okay, listen, you're how, like in very basic terms, I must say to his credit as well, he just explained to me how a distributed ledger worked in like five sentences. I was just like, oh my God, that's absolutely perfect because it had such a sharp contrast between the ledger being the transactional network where the action happens and you can read everything off that and see and there's nowhere else that anything else is happening so it's like it's all there then i just started noticing that this you know this is the transactional data infrastructure of the future it made complete sense to me so then my story was basically i was just like okay i need to get a career in this as quickly as possible. At my time, it was like I was kind of like focused on getting a passport in the Netherlands and stuff like that. So usually you would basically, as soon as you got a, as soon as you got like a pretty stable job, you would stick to it. But I was just like, no way. So like I need to get on this as quickly as possible. So then I joined a company called Inopay, uh, and we, yeah, they were already kind of like on their way with regards to the blockchain stuff but i was like very much adamant on kind of like only working on on blockchain related projects there and trying to kind of like develop the business the business as well that was also early days for the industry so it wasn't necessarily like people were knocking on doors asking for expertise in this regard either but we had like super nice projects that me and the one partner we worked closely together and yeah, for instance, we published a paper for the European Banking Association at the time. And like, I think it was in around 2013, 2014. And the paper still reads very, very, very well, like with regards to kind of like predictions with regards to use cases for blockchain generally. Uh, it, it, I, I would say it's like work that I'm very proud of. And then after that, I moved on to KPMG, became a consultant there as well uh, in blockchain technology, senior consultant there. Um, then you started noticing that that at that time, um, it was still very much like the whole private and public blockchain mm -hmm. debate was still kind of like ongoing to a certain extent. And to a certain extent, the whole private blockchain thing was to a certain extent, um, a little bit almost like invented by consultants to a certain extent, just to make people who work in transactional industries, whether that's banking or, or supply chain or you name it just to make them a little bit more comfortable mm. with the whole idea, because it's just like a little bit too mind boggling to have like your data outside of the, the company, because like the mindset and the paradigm is of course, like I listen here, we keep the data like right here and we keep it tight and secure. So there was a little bit of a, a like mindset to work on. And then we started noticing, especially at KPMG, that, that the blockchain technology actually works the best when you are in consortium of companies as well. So that was something that we that we noticed to a certain extent in a, in a big way. Um, and this is where it becomes interesting because then at a certain point, it's like it's not necessarily technology consulting as well. There's a little bit of a uh, uh, aspect of really bringing people together and getting companies to cooperate in a way that they would usually not do. So that so that was also like a very unique challenge. But I look back at the time in consulting with with like even though it was very challenging to actually really do business development at that time, I look at it and I look at it with, with like a, a lot of pleasure based on the fact that you could walk in at that time. And I, I think you still can, can do, I wouldn't know, but you can, any industry, you could have sat down with somebody, you could have asked them like, hey, listen, you're on an informational or transactional part of your business. Where are your issues? Mm -hmm. And they would just simply tell you. And so it was a, like a massive learning experience at the time as well. So that's for like from any industry that you can think about, like whether it's banking, insurance, transport, logistics, generally, um, supply chain, supply chain invoicing, that's those types of things. Very, 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 very interesting as well. Even intellectual property at the time. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, well, 2017 happened. So I was also trading since 2013 around that time i i think my first bitcoin was bought at 80 dollars so that was that was not too bad should have maybe, should have maybe held on to that one uh but yeah so like around 80 80 dollars and like the at a certain point at a certain point the amount of ethereum that i had was eye-watering uh, and I, I can still remember like uh, like looking at the ethereum icon i was just like wow this this thing sounds really really good 
but I simply was just like a cash trap student. Like I didn't have like 50 euros extra on me, but just imagine. <laughs> so that's a little bit, that's a little bit how that goes. Like, obviously there's a lot of fun in the industry and being in the game, but there's also a lot of regret as well. So in 2017, then by that time, I applied some of the knowledge that I, that I learned on the job and also my own thinking, because I was like, at the time it was very, like the information was quite scattered to a certain extent you could almost grow with the industry at the time so i found myself in a situation where i was just like being capable of actually really making very solid bets on icos so at around 2017 i decided okay why don't i try my hand at professional fund management and then i started a fund called coinstone capital at the time and then obviously 2000 and that took now it's pretty easy. Now, if you want to start a fund, it's basically you call the correct people, you press a button or two, and then you've got everything that you need. But at that time, it was like very much figuring it out, kind of like with lawyers to see what you can, could in actual fact do. And yeah, the AFM laws in this regard, like the financial markets laws in, in, in Europe um, with regards to funds, it's, it's very difficult based on the fact that you would think it's a directive and it is but then the directive gets done all over the show in like different ways so actually really really passporting with the capability of for instance marketing a dutch fund in germany is not so straightforward as it's supposed to be so that was one of the things but then at, at a certain point as well um 2017 happened and that there was like even though there was interest in the broader market the type of people that we were focusing on at the moment like kind of like more i would say semi-institutional slash family offices they simply just lost confidence because they just saw what was happening in, in the in the ico scene and then the prices were just going like rock bottom so i remember trying to get some assets under management going at around when when ethereum was around 250 so yeah, to give you to give you an idea. So, anyways, like so that's also a little bit of a regret looking back because if like if there was like if like you know under those circumstances if you had a few k under management it would have been very very interesting. So, but that didn't that that it basically it was also very expensive to keep the thing afloat. So eventually, what happened is I decided to focus on taking the learnings what I've learned because like going from a consultant to actually being a kind of like a service provider in an industry it's a massive mind shift actually because like as a consultant you kind of like have this attitude of like you're walking in and you're like okay listen here shut up I know the best listen you know that type of attitude and then I started noticing that the reason why we couldn't really raise a lot of money was based on the fact that people needed a lot more handholding to really understand the asset class and then get comfortable with regards to investing. And this is where Coinstone Capital now, from that learning, Coinstone Capital got this form that it currently has, where I literally sit down with a family office or a high net worth individual. I take them from zero to euro, as I say, like they know nothing about blockchain per se. I take them through from what a blockchain is. Then what I do is I tell them why tokenized blockchain is like way more interesting than just kind of like a ledger sitting somewhere and then the applications the use cases and then from then on i obviously have my best of breed within the use cases as well and then from then on we go and decide whether the person or the or the family office wants to go ahead or not mm -hmm. and if they do want to go ahead then i have a chat with them with regards to what they want to do and what their what their risk propensity is and how long they want to stay in the market and based on that then i do a, a portfolio for them and then from the portfolio part then it becomes interesting because they have to use the technical analysis a lot because like they would have x amount of money and then i would execute the trades for them on their exchange accounts and then i use a lot of technical analysis to basically make sure that they spend the money as wisely as possible so that can take up to anything between three and eight months to basically just get the money down nicely so that's that's basically what i do and then of course there's a lot of like um uh like as you mentioned like in a, in a very nice way during the intro like i've always like kind of like educating the educational part of it's also been interesting so i've written for Coindesk, Cointelegraph as well. Um, I've done a report semi-recently, like a, like a year and a half ago, maybe two years with Deloitte, 
uh, at the time. And then obviously during my work as well, I had the opportunity to bring out quite a few nice publications with KPMG. So yeah, it's been, it's that, that part of it has also been like, a, a, this, despite the ups and downs and, and like every now and again, just the sadness that you see with regards to what people actually do to the industry. Um, like there's also a lot of satisfaction in bringing out like new things and, and, and giving people a little bit of an aha moment. Mm. You know, that's, that's, I like that as well. So, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, guys, uh, the, the, thanks a lot for, for sharing, so to say, your, your, your entrance in, 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 into the crypto space. Now, my, my question is re regarding these clients, may they be family offices or, or high net worth individuals, um, in a sense, how many of them or is there even such clients that are just interested in Bitcoin and want to hold Bitcoin and are not interested in, in the wider space or everybody kind of wants to test different things out and see what works best for them? Um, yeah, well, with regards to it's, it's a little bit about, I would say they're first and foremostly like quite interested in Bitcoin to a certain extent, but to a certain extent, they also know kind of like what Bitcoin is up against. You should understand that, that that people have this way of thinking about like a net worth individual or family office is just kind of like the some like entity that's just kind of like sitting there like on golden coins like Scrooge McDuck or whatever. But the, the people are highly intelligent. There's a reason why they're successful. So they're highly intelligent people and they also make up their own minds. So when they come to me, they know they're looking at like a broader portfolio of assets, which obviously includes Ethereum and a, and a bunch of interesting altcoins as well. So, and then they understand it's kind of like, a, they understand that Bitcoin is definitely something. It's not just kind of like magical internet money, but they also know what it's up against with regards to, and they also know that at the moment, the attitude towards it changes as well a lot. So it's on the one end, it's a risk on asset, Every now and again, it's like a tech stock. And then every now and again, it's digital gold. And then every now and again, it's now a competition for a CBDC or a competition for a currency. So they kind of like see the potential in it, of course, but it's not necessarily where they're solely focused, mm. you know? And then obviously, if it would only be kind of like one asset that they're interested in, then eventually my expertise also become a little bit less useful for them because they can also DCA into crypto. You know, if they would like to, like, I'm pretty sure that I can still get them more bang for buck completely, because like, if you know how to read the charts, you're always going to do better than somebody that just blindly does it. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, are you, I'm usually not just called up for, like, hey, Bitcoin, <laughs> like, yeah, that doesn't, doesn't happen too much. Very interesting. And, and in a sense, how many of these clients that, that come to you nowadays, um, you, you said they are aware of Bitcoin, but are any of them holding it or they're just kind of on 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 the sides considering, should I get it, should I not, and, and asking for your advice? Um, they want to make an informed decision, right? Because uh, like you should also take it, like, like, take it back a little bit. Like back in the day, like the advancements and also the informational part of crypto was a lot more easier to digest. Mm. You know, you would get like one good article or one good paper every like two weeks, yeah. you know, and then you would just be like, oh, you read it at your leisure and you're like, okay, cool, waiting for some new information to pop up. And usually it used to be like, kind of like, I would almost say chunky literature to the sense of so like mm -hmm. somebody's bringing out like a five page article or a 20 page article. Antonopoulos brought out those super cool books back in yeah. the day with O'Reilly. Programming series. Yeah, the programming and the original one about Bitcoin as right. well, right? So then that gave you a very, very good idea of like, okay, so now you really had the knowledge, right? So what happens now is this is this like so many media outlets, so many things, so many opinions coming at people. So every now and again, I just noticed this like, and, and, and it, it says nothing about um, my clients or potential clients. It's just like the, the people come to you and they're slightly confused mm -hmm. because they've read a lot, but they've read a lot of scattered, scattered stuff to a certain extent. So it's not been a lot of like, kind of like systemic, like, 
like uh, research, I would say, which kind of like happened organically, like in the older days. So then many times it's like actually just kind of like being like, oh, okay, you kind of got it 95% right, but there's one little misunderstanding. And then that basically straightens out their knowledge of the of the scene, like relatively well. As I've mentioned, the people are intelligent. It's not like mm-hmm. I'm it's not like I'm holding a ba- uh, like a like a child by the hand or whatever. It's a really smart people and they simply just want to optimize how they go about it. Yeah, no, uh, guys, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I, I call all this overflow of crypto information noise. And uh, I, I like to tell people, you know, kind of zoom out from the noise and look at the signal. And the signal can be, as you said, looking, doing your, your technical charts, uh, doing, you know, your own deep and actual credible reading of, of published books that have spent time researching and putting out and seeing articles roll out literally every half an hour there's a new if not even faster it's just bombarding boom 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 what, what's happening here what's happening there and a lot of people are confused and let alone these high net worth individuals he said they're very intelligent people and, and they also get confused over this overflow of information but uh in 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 your opinion how how has the space changed since 2017 when you started um coinstone capital and where it is today and and how do you think it's further going to change as we progress into 24 and 25 and beyond? Oh man, that's a, that's a very, very good question because like, as I was like, I was, we're here now at Reflect Festival, right? So yesterday I was doing a presentation of kind of like web free and macro. Mm -hmm. And then that obviously made me sit down a little bit and think about kind of like the old days to a certain (laughs) extent, like between brackets. I mean, it's a little bit sarcastically, but, um, so what happened is, is like, it, it became, like especially with regards to new projects coming out, right? It became like frightful to a certain extent of like how like window dressing surrounding projects itself has become a complete industry in its own right. So your typical ICO in 2015, 2016, don't get me wrong, there was also like a lot of crap out there. But it would usually be like ideally it would be like somebody who's like like either very, very good in some part of crypto already. So like either cryptography or just a very good program or somebody coming out from some transactional system in some way, shape or form. What they do is they would actually code the thing by hand. And then they would be like, okay, listen here, I've got something. Uh, I need to make something out of it. Or I've got something already. I need to get it decentralized. So take some coins, please. Mm-hmm. And that that's what happened. So it was actually like very much a kind of like a inorganic way or yeah, way more organic way of just basically putting something out there. Now it's just like, you know, you've got professional white paper writers on Fiverr for 150 euros. Uh, you've got market makers that are expensive, but they can make the coin go up and down as they please, you know. Um, yeah, you've got special special marketing companies in that regard as well, like highly specialized ones that have been. Uh, we also charge like crazy, like twenty five thousand dollars a week, easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but they kind of like also deliver results, even though it's like shorthand as well. Even so if there's no product, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's the that's that's mm-hmm. that's another thing as well. It's just like I, I think you summed it up like actually perfectly what I wanted to say. The willingness to basically just go and put something out there without actually having real product mm-hmm. um, is something that also changed big time. And another thing that happened is like people were kind of like it was like a little bit of a like kind of like more of an open pioneering time as well, where people wanted to at use case level kind of like go as wide and as far as possible by themselves and then basically stake their claim of being like, oh, I'm the first guy that did a prediction market or whatever, uh, or a privacy browser or that type of thing. Now it's just like this kind of like whole idea of jumping on narratives every now and again. So now you see like even in the terrain where we've got such a shortage of good programmers, there's the ceaseless duplication of efforts. Like how many, how many layer one killers do we need? <laughs> like really, like, like what's, what's the story there, you know? And the, and the list goes on. So it's been like, I would say the fundraising part of it has become like highly industrialized. And I think the whole part of that as well is, is, is I would say is VCs that are involved in it. I have my, my personal opinion is that, that, VCs also kind of like need to prove like towards the broader community 
they actually really have to prove their worth to a certain extent because what we've seen is that grassroots investors because of the whole vc model first like seed round vc and then going out um, with, with a token has really turned grassroots investors like actually the people who are also investors and clients or customers of the of the project that they are, they've simply been turned into exit liquidity mm. and then everybody's just like well but where are our user base where's the spot volume it's just like yeah because the, because the people haven't been treated well and they're looking at some something else and that's also that's also a little bit of a, another point coming back to my clients like the like the family offices like obviously you get to know the managers like to a certain extent relatively well because like i write stuff for them but i like to have personal calls as well and then you ask them what they're getting up to and you know what like some of them come up with like pretty straightforward or or very ingenious ways to come up with close to risk-free yield of between 7 to 10% without any real problems. And that's the, on the one part. So then explains to them to stake in DeFi. Yeah, that's a difficult one. And then uh, another aspect of it as well is it's like they do have access to other types of deal flow that can also provide the same multiples as crypto used to as well. So where everybody kind of like walks around and being like, okay, listen, your crypto is the one place where you can really go and fetch alpha. Oh well, we'll we'll need to see. We'll need to see again because, like, I think the model has been really, really bad, and a lot of people got their fingers burnt. And whether they're going to return or not, that's another thing as well. And now, if you have a chat with people, everybody's talking about, yeah, we need more volume, fresh capital. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, well, maybe if we just treated the capital that was flowing through the industry since 2015 up until now, if we treated it with a little bit more respect, mm. um, we wouldn't be in this problem right now. You know, so we, we wouldn't be in a situation where we, there's like super low spot volume at the moment. Uh, prices are to a certain extent stuck in this kind of like no man's land at They're the moment. Non-stable coins are becoming stable coins. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's 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 a weird situation that we're facing it because like it's a typical thing of like what you will generally see in the liquid markets. It's like the holders don't want to sell at a certain price mm. and the buyers don't want to buy at a certain price so like for instance for bitcoin if you look about it at a, at a technical analysis level it's literally that situation like nobody wants to be the guy that pays more than 28k right now yeah but nobody wants to be the guy that sells under 26 because everybody's waiting for like the blackrock etf or whatever <laughs> but then the market would actually do so much better if they if the market just basically goes and fetches liquidity a little bit at around 20 to 23 then we can actually probably see some growth mm. again but it needs to go and needs to go and fetch that liquidity again but yeah but at the moment the volumes are macabre yeah um well you 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 brought up kind of the the black swan in the room the the black rock and and co etfs which are under investigation by the second we see if the decision will come out but since you are kind of you're the closest guest that operates with kind of institutional VC money. And, and essentially, I wanted to hear your opinion. And of course, with your knowledge and expertise, what kind of impact do you think ETFs will bring to, to the Bitcoin space? And is it positive or negative in your personal opinion? Oh, man, they, they are, you're asking good questions this morning. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the elephant in the room, the black swan and this and that. It's like so many animals, right? <laughs> No, but um, the ETF situation is um, like, so there's this, there's this super nice chart, uh, very basic chart, like have a look at the Bitcoin price um, at around 2018, obviously when it like really went up, like a, like a solid exponential move. Mm. And then you check what the time was, like in fact, it was 18 December, 2017. That's when the Chicago Mercantile, Mercantile Exchange launched. I believe it was even Christmas. It was 25th of December, I believe so. Yeah, in, in that area, well, that week. Yeah, yeah. And then it was just a complete turnaround when they when they launched the Bitcoin futures. Mm. So now everybody's just like, so the thinking would be like, well, there would be so much money flowing into it. Okay, but the futures is different because the future is, depending on how you set it up, it's basically a tracker of the price, right? Yeah. Which is completely different to an actual spot ETF, which, which would mean that they would it would actually generate demand. But one thing that you need to take into account then 
at the time, the only way you get two ways before 2018 that you could actually participate in the market, and that is either being in cash yeah. or not having a position or going long. Yeah. That's it. Now there's a complete smorgasbord <laughs> of all types of ways in which you can get some form of market exposure. And going long is one of them. Going short is another one, but then also playing vol playing volatility via derivatives. That's mm -hmm. another. That's an okay. That's a completely different beast in its own right, which is like a, like a highly complex part of trading. But what happens is though is it's like the general idea of these financial instruments. It sounds very good because like now these holy institutions are basically ascending from the mountain and and bringing us the liquidity that we need. It sounds like that, but what they also bring is they bring a lot of instruments that many, many capable people can then basically use to make money in completely different ways than just going all out long. Okay, so that's on a market technical level. But what is going to happen is, is what you also need to take into account is so like, okay, so in my business, I do everything right <laughs> so i also do the business development so uh and a business developer in the financial services sector is a very very interesting character indeed and so what's going to happen is you've got blackrock but you've got like a whole host fun ick the list goes on and everybody. Man, yeah, you name it man everybody is wants to bring out the etf and nobody wants to go and embarrass themselves by having the smallest etf if it would go out so what happens is it's like you've got an army of 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 people with established links in business established business developers within the broader financial industries and they're basically sitting and they're going through their training manuals right now so if the sec pushes the button and they're going to bring it out they're going to have a race to basically get the biggest etf as soon as possible and then these people are going to start pushing narratives because you're already hearing about like hey listen up like if you put a little bit of bitcoin in a broader portfolio because you need a different portfolio right now you can't have the old one that they were selling like two years ago you need a new one now because the game has changed and then they're like yeah but, but but which is true statistically speaking a little bit of bitcoin goes a long way it's like basically like salt in a dish it goes a long way in a portfolio with regards to well on the one hand diversification um which is good uh well generically good and then, of course, with regards to kind of like, uh, uh, like to a certain extent, acting as a counterbalance as well. But we, that that needs to be proven as well like as we're going towards the future. So they're also going to start pushing those narratives. Um, so it will definitely, I think, be positive long term because more people will be out there with a good idea of. Um, what Bitcoin has got to offer, and then hopefully also understanding what blockchain has to offer. And maybe, maybe, but that's maybe asking too much, also understanding what the advantages are of decentralized systems. Uh, but maybe that's too much to ask, because like I've, one thing which is a little bit crazy though, is like listening to, what's his name? Larry Fink, right, from yeah. BlackRock. It, like, if he talks about crypto, I, I, I kind of like get the idea. Doesn't really know what he's talking about. I, it's not like I'm the kind of like the the messiah, and I decide like who knows or who doesn't. Not at all. And obviously, he's he a, sounds he, a little bit blank. I agree with you. He's, it's, a little bit vague. it's just like it's just like did you do your own research there, Larry? <laughs> I don't think so. I think he's got many advisors around to, to, to help him out on that one. But if, if I may add. Like one interesting, so I, I like what you brought up with, with the whole introduction of futures back in late 2017 and how that essentially tanked the price because now suddenly institutional investors, not just institutional, but professional traders could short the market. And even if they had some Bitcoin, they might as well sell it, get cash from that side and then short the hell out of it and make even more money. But the big difference to me personally, and I want to hear your opinion as well on it, is with, with the fact with ETFs is that for an ETF, um, to, to get approved and, and, and for it to work, the, the ETF provider actually has to own the underlying asset. Yes, yes, so yes. in this case, all these big boys from the BlackRock, Vanguards and, and all the rest, um, essentially won't it be a rat race to scoop as many Bitcoins as possible so they, can, so they can grow, as you said, the biggest ETF possible? And if so, um, 
where are they going to get all of that supply? As you said, people that are, you know, hardcore believers in Bitcoin, such as myself, I'm, I'm not looking to sell anytime soon. And, and a lot of people are not. And we saw liquidity is not there. So the two essentially options are either OTC um, trades with what we call whales, people that have been early adopters that are holding, sitting on thousands of Bitcoin. But that's also a limited supply. The only other supply they will have is the daily mint Bitcoin, which at the moment as time of recording of this podcast is roughly 900 Bitcoins uh, per day. But the halvings around the corner, less than six months away, that number is going to drop to 450 Bitcoins a day. Um, and what do you think, how is that going to impact the whole EFT rollout and essentially the, the rat race between the, the big Wall Street boys? Uh, well, I think you summed it up already, right? So I can only confirm what you've said. To a certain extent, there is a limited supply and it's a proven limited supply and certain market circumstances and the fact that there have been people there before make it even uh, to a certain extent even um, more scarce and then there will be money flowing in and as you mentioned as well a spot ETF means that there needs to be an actual underlying so it's not just something that synthetically tracks the price it is in actual fact uh, an underlying that needs to be bought mm -hmm. so the mathematics says it's, it's only one way and that's up the the thing though is is that I think it's it's fundamentally just very important to remember that eventually like the ECC can find fault with the ETF applications like for quite some time they can even say no as well um, and we'll have to see because like I think the ECC has gotten it happened to not only to the ACC, it also happened to a few monetary authorities all around the world where they accidentally got sucker punched while kind of like looking for a fight in the crypto industry. So every now and again, it's quite funny, actually. But then on the other hand, it actually costs the companies that need to go to court a lot of money. We even had it in the Netherlands with the Dutch National Bank as well, where like the small exchange that's been around forever, like a real OG exchange, <laughs> got into a fight with the DNB and then eventually ended up winning. So, yeah, and then yeah, they basically needed, it, it was basically, they, it basically boiled down to that they were kind of like getting a little bit like a pressured or like harassed is not the correct word for it, but they, they, they went in at a, at a kind of like very weird legal angle with, with, with demanding certain types of like requirements from, from exchanges at the time. But that's another story altogether. And what it boils down to is like eventually it's a committee of people who are sitting there and they're making a decision. But this is also happening within political times, very, very weird political times within America. So you should take that into account as well. So the thing is like they could still always say no up until now. And it's also like the optics, right? Yeah. Because like you need to understand, like if you really look at BlackRock themselves as a company, how massive they are and how intertwined they are within like the U.S. financial everywhere. system. <laughs> yeah, everywhere. But they also provide essential government services and these types of things as well via kind of like via BlackRock. Mm -hmm. And so then what eventually what it boils down to, right, is that the ECC also just from a kind of like from an optical perspective doesn't necessarily want to come over as it's like, hey, listen, you know, we've been giving the small guys a lot of problems, but then all of a sudden BlackRock rolls in and then we're like, hey, guys, okay, oh, cool. Now we just roll over. So I don't necessarily see that happening. I'm actually way more focused on, and it's, and the whole thing is like at the moment, this thing has got, this basically has by the rumor, sell the news written all over it by now. So I'm also a little bit scared of that part of the ETF thing as well. And then of course the whole narrative, like ahead of the whole thing as well. Uh, yeah, there's going to be like a lot of price volatility, obviously upside later on, mm. but Short term looking like, murky. But short term, it's, it's short term, it's looking mighty murky, I'll tell you that much. And especially if you take it even broader, you're looking at what's happening in China at the moment. You've got an election year, which is historically not good for markets mm -hmm. uh, in the US coming up. So there's a lot of things that can happen. And, you know, like, uh, like crypto is already reeling a little bit, right, uh, at the moment. So you're really, really hoping it's like a boxer in the, in the, in the like in the in the 12th round right like a, if a favor falls in the wrong way the guy gets knocked out because you've been taking quite a few punches so i just actually really hope for up until the halving and then afterwards that we actually just really have kind of like a predictable time 
Let's, let's put it let's put it this way that would be actually the best for everybody involved De- definitely uh, it, it makes a lot of sense and and actually now i was i was kind of reflecting in my own mind as 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 you were explaining that gus uh perhaps it wouldn't be surprising if we roll into 2024 and the sec says no we don't approve any etfs and the market just tanks because people say oh you know nothing's going to happen and we see bitcoin even breaking the 20k going down low and and these big boys actually scooping up cheap sats and then reapplying and waiting for whenever it gets you know approved if it even gets approved so you're right this narrative of uh of of, of buy the rumors sell the news uh could essentially play out very nicely but we're yet to see what will happen yeah we'll we'll need to check that out like you need to understand like a good friend of mine's dad always said because he was a lawyer uh and yeah, uh, and we would always ask him kind of like these weird legal questions about stuff. And then he would just kind of like shout out in like real Afrikaans. He would just kind of like swear and say, like, yeah, but you need to understand. Uh, you can, a doctor, a, a, a surgeon can only operate with the body in front of him. You need to know what's there. So, so speculation yeah, that's really, really a lot of fun. And it's nice and everything about like, oh, then, then this will happen and then this will happen, whatever. Yeah, maybe it will, maybe it won't, right? So it's like speculation is a lot of fun, but it doesn't necessarily get you anywhere, right? That's a little bit, that's a little bit the story as well. And I think um, people in the market, if they're basically just hanging on to play the whole ETF story, yeah, yeah. Uh, I yeah yeah well they 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 could get wrecked or whatever but like if they just want to play the whole ETF story then uh, like well done to them and like I wish them well and I wish that they, they I wish that they make good money and 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 um and it's a good it's a good play for everybody but it would be better if everybody was just actually a little bit more involved and especially their with their selection of products projects I mean. Uh, even broader than Bitcoin, um, if they would actually be a little bit more focused on the fundamentals. And this is where it's very, very interesting because irrespective of ECC, ETF, you name it, another three-letter acronym that's doing the rounds, the network growth is doing really, really well. There's more people getting involved in the network. There's more non-zero Bitcoin addresses than ever before. Same goes for Ethereum as well. So the thing is, it's spreading, it's getting more decentralized, more people are using it and all these types of things. So it's great to go and get fixated on prices because like, obviously I do that all of the time, like professionally by now. But like, it's also like the network graph and all these types of things are also happening. That's why it's important to choose the correct amount Mm. of how much you're gonna buy. So like 5,000, okay, let's say say 5,000, right? You put in 5,000, but that 5,000 is money that you're going to need within the next year, mm. some way, shape, or form. Mm. That's problematic. It's not a good situation because you actually have an investment in a pretty risky asset, and it needs to pay off within X amount of days. And yeah, that's no good. It's way better to actually just do 500 and then stick to it for as long as you can because you're not necessarily going to need yeah, like, well, hopefully you're not going to be in a situation where, like, you really need an emergency 500, right? Yeah. So that's actually why focusing fundamentally, putting down small amounts, but with the commitment of, like, really letting it go, that's that's the most important part, you know? That's why it's also very, very interesting to kind of, like, buy, like, a small amount of sets for a child or whatever, for, like, giving it to them on their 20th, something like that. That's interesting, you know? I, I like it. For the listeners who are still, sort of say, on, on the sidelines, um, I, I guess Gus gave you excellent advice, which is don't overexpose yourself and, and invest an amount that you're comfortable with riding the long term and, and not depending from, from day to day. Because I know a lot of people that kind of they're, they're all in or nothing and then they go all in and they're by the wrong time and the price tanks and they're stressed and they're selling at a loss and it's just... There's no need for that. You're, you're kind of putting yourself in, in, in a bad position. So I think this is a very valuable and, 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 and great advice to, to not overexpose yourself. And, you know, 
we're still early, right? I mean, even to, to me, Bitcoin is still in the experimental stage. For 14 years in, in the macro of things is nothing. It's a bleep in the ocean. And, um, and I think even though it's, it's, it's a bleep in the ocean, it has developed so much so far in the 14 years that it's currently what half a half a trillion dollar asset it's pretty it's pretty phenomenal no yeah no definitely yeah that, that's that's definitely <laughs> like for like on the one end what we're seeing is we're seeing many things um it's a novel transactional network it's a novel way of doing a database if you want to if you want to call it that i know what i'm saying is technically speaking wrong so don't get mad at me viewers at home but and it's a novel way of programming and thinking about structures, even though decentralization has been around for ages in some way, shape or form, yeah. right? Um, but what is also very, very interesting from a financial angle is, is like it's actually also the birth of a new asset class. And technically speaking, that happens once in a generation, really. I think the previous one that you could actually, it depends on how you define this, of course, but like the previous asset class that came out like on its own was kind of like solver. <laughs> Yeah, that's basically it. That like a long really, time ago. really coming in, being a tradable market. People are like, oh, okay, cool. I didn't have it. Now I can buy it in the open market, that type of thing. Mm. Oh, that's 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 quite some time ago. Like maybe one of the viewers who's like an actual, because you get these people who are like real actual market historians can really point out what the story is. So I'm going <laughs> to like, uh, I'm going <laughs> to starting a massive argument on your comment section now. No way. We, we, we like different opinions and, and, and we like having uh, a, a educated discussions, not, uh, not, not chaotic ones. But um, I guess, um, well, usually I, I ask my guests to, to give a piece of advice, but you already gave a great piece of advice with not to overexpose yourself and only leverage yourself in, into digital assets. But maybe you could give them another piece of advice to people that are looking to enter the digital asset class. Oh, that that's a good one. Um, okay, let, let's go. But let's go a little bit beyond the basics, right? Because like obviously, proper wallet, all these Education. types of things, security and 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 whatnot, is extremely important. Uh, the list goes on. But I would say that you need to walk in very very mindfully, and this is not kind of like me being some kind of like Buddhist Zen coach <laughs> or or whatever. It's really. You need to understand that, especially if it's like your first time investing, you're walking into the most volatile asset class out there, by, by far. And uh, also an, an asset class that gets affected in, from all types of different angles, in different ways, uh, in very unpredictable ways, from outside and inside forces within the industry as well. So there's a lot of unpredictability and there's a lot of volatility in it. But then within that spectrum, as soon as you do invest, what I see a lot with people is, is like, especially first time investors, but it happens, it, it happens with everybody You always need to stay mindful of it, is the fact that money psychology under risk does a lot of things with the human brain. Like it's, 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 a, it's a proven thing. It's, it's, it is a, it is a real issue. There's a lot of kind of like studies with regards to behavioral economics, but then if you put the brain under stress as well, then decision-making gets a little bit weird as well. So I would say you do some of your best work in investing. You do it before you start investing. So what it boils down to know that it's going to be stressful, but know why you're getting in what your personal reason is mm -hmm. know and write it down and know when that personal reason is not working out anymore know what it would look like if it doesn't work out and then if it doesn't work out whether you're at profit or a loss get out get out take the money mm -hmm. uh, or or if you feel like okay listen here the thesis is developing nicely stay in it as well but also Tell yourself, like, hey, listen here, I've got X amount of time in my on my hands and X amount of things to do and X amount of people that I can hang out with. And, like, being a little bit obsessed about, like, a little bit of a line on a chart, that's also just very unhealthy and you, you, you are going to burn out. The investment is going to make you burn out. I had a, somebody who I was advising. It's not a client, but it was somebody that I was, like, advising at a certain point on blockchain technology. He was a, a CTO at a 
well-known, well-known international company. So I was under the impression that he was making a sizable amount of money per month. And I remember the conversation where he was just like, wow, yeah, I'm so stressed out about this position that I've got at the moment. And, and I'm like, in what? He's like, now I bought some Bitcoin and like, I'm very stressed out about this position. So I'm like, I'm asking him, so like, how much did you put down? And he was just like, five. And I'm like, oh my God, you went in with five mil. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's substantial. And, and I'm like, five mil. And he's like, no, 500. 500. 500. No, 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 not 500 mil, 500 dollars. Five zero zero. Ah, okay. But, 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 but technically speaking, I think, I think that guy makes that type of money within an hour yeah, at his yeah. job. But he, was, but he was completely stressed. He was losing sleep and all these types of things. And I, then I told him, like, listen, you're, if you're feeling about that, about that investment, just cut it. Never and never look at it again. Right. Just cut it. Just, just go on for your life. Because if you're losing sleep because of like something like that, it's no good. But you will know that when you're in the market. And if it's not working out for you personally, then be smart enough to get out. Because the thing is, the difference between trading and gambling is very, very thin. The only difference is, is that trading requires a lot of work to know what you're doing. That's the most important thing. So every time you make a trade, you have to have a reason for it. You have to basically write down, why am I doing this? Why am I getting out? Why is this interesting for me? What does it look like if it's going well? What does it look like if it's going bad? What are the signs? When do I pull out? You need to know the whole story. It's basically like a Navy SEALs thing, like intro, extraction, the whole shebang. You need to write, you need to have it down. But if you don't do that, you're gambling. That's it. It's pure gambling. And then we live in a world where, like, where, where there are many, many dopamine-related issues with people, um, whether that's depression, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, smoking, you name it. Like gambling is also one of those. And you need to check out. Like, like put yourself first. Like don't, if stacking sets stresses you out or you're feeling that you're getting like a little bit obsessed or addicted about it, just leave it. Go on. Like live your life. All right, guys, uh, this is, uh, I guess I'm, I'm leaving the Bitcoin world because I'm obsessed with sets. So this will be the last episode. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, j- jokes aside, that, that was really good advice from you guys. Um, I, I think I, I couldn't agree more if this is a space that takes some, some nerves and, you know, take everything with a pinch of salt. Don't over, overexpose yourself and overstress yourself. Life is very short and beautiful. So enjoy every minute and second of it um, and, and, and leave the market to do their own thing. So... I'd like to thank Gus once again for, for coming on, on the show today. It's been a pleasure uh, meeting you, actually, the, the, the last 48 hours, uh, listening to your keynotes at the, at the conference, and today having the pleasure to having you on the podcast. And definitely uh, would love to, to have you back perhaps sometime next year after the bull run and, and we have some more momentum and some more volume coming in. Uh, I'd love to hear how, how things are progressing. Yeah, no, exactly. That would be great. Yeah, thank, thanks for having me. It's been very much appreciated. And also kind of like a shout out to the people of Cyprus. I've like really, really had a good blast there. It's like really people are super, super nice. And uh, yeah, I'm also wishing everybody here in the in the, in the the community, like all of the best and helping, and helping everybody stays like uh, enthusiastic and responsible. I would say that. Thanks a lot and see you guys on the next week's episode. Ciao. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of What Is Your Bitcoin Story podcast. Remember to subscribe and share with your friends and family. For more valuable Bitcoin resources, visit our website at whatisyourbitcoinstory.com. Keep stacking sats, stay safe and spread the Bitcoin revolution.